Hello, everyone, and welcome to Post Podium, the podcast where former Jeopardy contestants are instead given questions and asked to provide answers. I am your host, Jarek Bruel, and returning to the podcast is none other than Roan Talsma. I previously interviewed Roan on another episode of Post Podium, so if you haven't listened to it yet, I highly recommend you do so later. I'm also joined by Zach Goslin, a data analyst who was also on Jeopardy earlier this year in February. Gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jarek. Glad to be back. Hey, thanks for having me. As the episode title implies, we're going to be reviewing the recently published Second Chance Tournament roster, giving our thoughts on who was selected, who we would have liked to have been chosen, and making predictions for who we think can make a deep run not just in the Second Chance Tournament, but also in the Tournament of Champions soon after. But before we get into all that, I actually want to dedicate the first half of the show to discussing some interesting topics that were brought up in the first episode of Inside Jeopardy, the official Jeopardy podcast hosted by executive producer Michael Davies. While listening to the first episode, I joked to myself and said, am I really going to discuss the content of another podcast on Post Podium, feeling the irony of it all and how meta that would be? And the answer is undoubtedly yes, because there were a lot of talking points that caught my attention and I love to talk about it with both Roan and Zach here with me today. How does that sound to you guys? Let's do it. I'm a huge fan. Let's do it. So in his continued attempts to push Jeopardy as a sport, we have Davies' initiative to start a Jeopardy honor ceremony, which he compares to the NFL honor ceremony that takes place the night before the Super Bowl each year. This sounds great and all, but all I could think about when Davies pitched this idea was the possibility of Lily, aka One Eclectic Mom on Twitter, being the quote-unquote blue carpet correspondent asking Jeopardy contestants <laughs> about what they're wearing. Ronan and Zach, do you guys have any, any thoughts on this? I am only good with that if I can if I get to be like her her co-host. I feel like that's a two-person job and I would I would hope that I could be I could be tapped for that. So if Lily has an in, maybe she can help me out. But I love that idea. Yeah, I think uh it's you and Buzzy would be the uh people fighting for that spot next to Lily on the uh behind the velvet rope. And that'd be tough. about Buzzy. Yeah, it's probably going to be him, huh? But well, I don't know. He might be busy accepting some sort of award or something. So uh, yeah. I, I think you got a shot yet. Um, <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. I think, you know, they've got that hallway outside the studio that's like the Jeopardy sort of like mini museum. At this point, the show has been on for 40 years. So I think there's enough history to mine there that you could talk about like a lot of firsts, a lot of cool moments, big moments, like notable contestants and no, who, for either winning reasons or other reasons. Um, yeah, I'd be excited to see what they do with it. Moving on, this next idea was actually one that bummed me out a bit because I'm no longer eligible to be on Jeopardy, and that would be a pop culture-themed spinoff of some sorts. Pop culture is by far my strong suit when it comes to trivia, so at the very least, I cannot wait to dominate from the comfort of my couch. What do you guys think? What other kinds of Jeopardy spinoffs would you like to see in the future? Uh, I think if you're going to do, and I totally would have been on the, the pop culture side of things, this is maybe an idea for the uh, theoretical Jeopardy over-the-top streaming service, the Jeopardy network, if you will. But the, <laughs> the sort of evil or like opposite version of that, there's always like the lowbrow trivia and the pop culture. And then there's the true like academic quiz. And like I know the UK has a much more intense like classics and and whatever cuisine scene maybe not something for network television but like that's big enough for a netflix that's big enough for a for a you know hbo max or whatever you get the real nerds coming in and uh 
talking about Cicero or whatever. Something like University Challenge, you mean? Yeah, exactly like that. Exactly like that. I would say if we're going to do pop culture, let's get really specific. Can I be on Pokemon Jeopardy? Can I be on RuPaul's Drag Race Jeopardy? Like I could think of a few of these where if the more specific you get, it, like into like a fandom like you would definitely this is not actually practical i'm being facetious but like you, know, you can find you can like find people who like really know a lot about say survivor and you know that could be a, a fun thing to the pop culture point briefly uh just having done some like deeper trivia now i can i could actually just to to speak to that being a good idea like it's really you know it's, it's satisfying to get like a national capital or something something you were expecting to get asked about but the feeling of pulling, you know, some Disney Channel original movie from 20 years ago out of your brain from nowhere and landing that, that's a, you know, that's a real feat, I will say. So watching people do that, watching them pull out things from the darkest corners of, of, of really niche topics, there's something to be said about that. I feel like somehow Sony could, like, pull off some sort of weird, like, licensing deal to do, like, maybe like a week's worth of Jeopardy shows related to like this one specific franchise. I wouldn't pa- put it past Davies to possibly set that up. So maybe I mean, so- Sony has done like um, kind of like uh, like subtle product placement before. Like basically like I can think of like one example, I think from season 38 maybe where they did a video games category and they had like a famous Twitch streamer, like read the clues and they were all PS five games. <laughs> that's great. So, oh my God. Yeah. That's, like literally, so I good. think except for maybe, I think maybe one was like about Pong or Pac-Man and then like the other five were about like PS five games. And then the clues, like it was like this crazy thing happens in this game. What war is it based on? Like it wasn't even like actually video game trivia, um, which those are kind of my favorite categories. Sometimes when the category is to like a framing device and it's not actually about, the trivia, I can, I think that can be fun, but yeah, it was a little cringe. It was pretty ham-fisted. Now that we've got uh, that out of the way, let's move on to our next topic, which is Jeopardy Masters, which was brought up as another idea Davies was toying with. His goal is to make Masters a league that's an in-between the annual TOC and once every 20 years GOAT tournament. Davies is also interested in possibly making this a primetime or streaming live event, which he acknowledged can be a bit tricky to pull off, especially for game shows. Not many details were given about what a Masters League would look like, so my prediction would be something similar to the Ultimate Tournament of Champions back in 2005. You'd invite a bunch of champions from recent seasons of Jeopardy, who would then have the honor of playing the most successful champion in that time frame. If the league were held tomorrow, for example, that would probably be Amy Schneider, who would likely get a bye to the final round of the league similar to Ken when he played against Brad Rutter and Jerome Verred. Ronan, Zach, does this idea excite you at all? Is this something that Jeopardy can pull off in a live setting? What are your thoughts? Michael Davies being British, I think, would lead to it being something more like a group stage. Like, you could make kind of a parallel season of Jeopardy out of, like, rotating a couple of people around, having some minimum number of games, having these groups that are, you know, kind of World Cup style, kind of seated with these top champions like your Amy's and your Matamodios. Um and then also, like, you know, Alex Jacob from previous seasons, like other recent tournament champions guys in a group competing against each other for a while and then just kind of culminating in that leading to a bracket and then leading into, like, a big final. I think that could be basically, yeah, a parallel season of the show, something that could go up on streaming. Um, to the live point, I don't know if, like, either of y'all had this situation, like, for the most part, my week was pretty smooth. Like... I don't remember there being too, too many, you know, flubs and snubs and things like that. 
Maya and Ken are professionals. I think they could pull it off. It is weird to think about it being like literally live. I mean, because I mean, you know, we've all been there and like I had, um, did you have Ken, Zach? No, I had Mayim. I was. You did have, right, because Mayim came back like right after I was on. Yep. Yeah. So I had Ken and yeah, he was like, he, he was a very, he was really smooth. I feel like often the problem, unfortunately, is contestant responses that actually like cause these like, these pauses and these stops and everything. And so I get why they, because of the nature of Jeopardy, I can totally understand why it being literally live would be a challenge. It excites me though, if they could somehow pull it off, but I'll, I'll be honest and say that I'm a little dubious, not because of Ken and Mayim, but because of contestants who might be like, you know, like weird stuff, like answering, like while they're being corrected by Ken, I kind of feel like that happened like actually twice on my filming day, which then created this like, you know, big Jeopardy timeout situation and everything. Um, But to the more general idea of, of Jeopardy masters, huge fan, the whole like is Jeopardy a sports thing. I don't know. I'm like kind of like, I'm kind of agnostic about that, I guess. But in terms of, I I really like the Jeopardy lore, I would say. And I like the community that Jeopardy creates. And I do think that people like remember champions, big and small players, big and small, as we're going to talk about with the SET people. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of them continuing to bring back more people and kind of like lionizing people like, you know, like the Amy's and the Matt's and the Ken's of the world who are like really really amazing and like really deserve their flowers like even more than they got like just being on the syndicated show or like getting to play the toc or whatever i want more so i'm excited about this to that point like i do think it's kind of yeah as a fan it's sad to think that like okay well you know after this coming term of champions like we're not going to see amy and matt again for the foreseeable future whereas like with something like this it's a little bit more frequent or a little bit more regular you could say okay well now we'll get to see i don't know Amodio versus Holzauer or something like that. I mean, like, people were throwing out, um, and we don't get need to get too much into it, because I think we're going to get more info on the TOC soon. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know how much point there is in speculating, but, like, some people were kind of saying, like, you know, this would be the season to do, like, an ultimate tournament of champions style thing, right? Because we have, like, you know, multiple really high profile champs um between like the top three of this TOC bracket and, like, Matt, Amy, and Matea. Mm-hmm. Like, Matea won more games than, like, the vast majority, you know, the very vast majority of people who have won Tournament of Champions, maybe everybody besides James, right? And she's the third seed. So, I mean, that just, like, really speaks to um, the caliber of this season and the caliber of their their casting in general and, like, with the way that things are headed. I Like, these people are superstars, so, you know, we should give them their flowers. But the 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 flip side of it, like, you'll see people say on Reddit, like, even if it's not going to be live, I definitely agree with you, Zach, that I would love to see this on Netflix. I would love to see the streaming somewhere, somewhere parallel to the actual show, because what people always say when it's like, oh, like, what if you did, like, another, like, a second TOC in a season, or you, like, you had some other opportunity to bring people back, another all-star situation, like, people are always like, oh, well, that's, like, taking away from new people who have never gotten to play before, people who've been auditioning for 10 years and haven't gotten to play, right? And I get that. So it's complicated, but I, I think they can find a way to make it to make everyone happy. I think it's easy. They just need to. Ha- there just needs to be more Jeopardy. You can't like just be syndicated. <laughs> All right. So next up is the topic of money from the accounting department. Jeopardy clue crew member and producer Sarah was able to share with us the total amount of money Jeopardy has given away since the start of the season last September. And let me tell you, when I broke down the numbers, I found some crazy stats. So buckle up. The total amount of money given away since September thirteenth, twenty twenty one is $7,455,618. This includes money given away to champions in syndication, second and third place consolation prizes, the professor's tournament prize pool, and the Jeopardy! National College Championship. 
The prize pool for the professor's tournament was $265,000 or 3.5% of the total money given away. And the JNCC prize pool was $835,000 or 11% of the total prize pool. The remaining 85% was given away in syndication or $6,355,618. Consolation prizes for second and third was a total of $690,000, 9% of the total money given away, and 11% of the syndicated only money. The average amount of prize money given away per syndicated episode is $27,633. Matt Amodio's winnings were 20% of the total <laughs> money or 24% of the money given away in syndication. Amy's winnings were 19% of the total money or 22% of the money given away in syndication. And Matea's winnings were 7.6% of the total money or 8.9% of the money given away in syndication. And if you combine all those numbers together, this means that nearly half, 47% of the total money given away since last September has been to three people. And if you consider the money given away in syndication specifically, that number is 55%. So with all those stats laid out, Ronan and Zach, is there one number or value in particular that's shocking to you at all? Were there any surprises in this data? I just want to say, this is why we have to defund the super champs. These I was literally <laughs> about to say that. Like, nope, like tax the rich. Yeah, I mean, they, they've, they've been heavily taxed, but we yeah, yeah, yeah. Tax them more. No, this is cra- this the center cannot hold. This is ridiculous. I'm gonna be picketing at the TOC. These people do not need more money. Jeez, Louise. I mean, um, and this is like, I do hear the line a lot. That's like, I'm sure you guys have heard this. Like, oh, they rig Jeopardy because, like, oh, they want to see a super champion, or, or oh, they hate super champions. They like, they they slanted the game in some way to make sure this person loses or this person wins or whatever. Like, I guess that's the best argument I've heard in a while. That like, oh, they're trying to. They love Super Champs. Oh, that's great, or whatever. They really want them because it's good for ratings. So it'll cost them, you know, $4 million or whatever. Probably at least a couple million above what just, like, you know, your average contestant gets. Yeah, I guess what I was curious about, and I don't know if you have Derek on or uh, data on this, Jarek, but what I'm interested in is, like, is that that much higher than, like, Season 37, for example? Oh, I have no idea. Because, <laughs> I didn't like, have enough time to do if that. If <laughs> you think about it, like, because people are like, oh, like, the Super Champions are bad for them because they have to give a lot of money away. But I'm like, if... Like, you know, let's say Amy loses her first game. Amy never goes on a run. The 40 people that would have then played and won games, like, you know what I mean? It's like people think that Jeopardy is giving away more money. But I'm like, unless you're talking about somebody who just totally breaks it, like James, that's not really the case, right? Because, like, I don't know what, like, the average champion walks away with. Um, I'm sure someone does. But, like, you know, I'm sure that Amy and Matt and Matea, et cetera, were probably a little bit higher than average, um, maybe not even Matea, to be honest, but like, you know, like Matt and Matt and Amy for sure, I think, you know, had like higher, higher than average final totals, but like not that much higher than the actual like rolling average. Right. So I don't think it's like, it, it's just so funny, Zach, right. That like people say this because it's like Jeopardy airs X number of episodes a season and there is a champion every episode. <laughs> so like, no matter what they're giving away money, it's just a matter of how many people they're giving away money to. I can't imagine that it's like, if I pulled the season 37 numbers, uh, I would guess, you know, what, like six million, six and a half million. Cause it's not, you know, even like Matt makes $30,000 and the average champion, you know, made 30,000, the average champ makes 25 or 20. Like that is only going to add up so much over, you know, 40 episodes and at the scale that we're operating on. 
exactly and they also all have games where they're lower than average too and when you're there for for seven eight weeks right like you know that that average is gonna soften that curve's gonna go down you know so it's interesting you know more about that than me you're a data analyst (laughs) i i I think it's interesting (laughs) lastly davies gave a teaser for the toc by announcing the date of when the format and official roster will drop which is monday august 15th he said that the toc would feature a new structure so it's possible we have more than 15 contestants competing in fact, I go as far to say that's a guarantee with two SCT winners advancing to the TOC. More on that later. Uh, I'd be shocked if Jackie or Andrew are booted just to make room for them. This season has featured a number of high-caliber players, as we've said before, some of whom have been removed from the TOC tracker on Jeopardy.com due to the number of five-game-plus champions we've been seeing. Ron or Zach, is there anyone not on the TOC tracker anymore that you'd like to see in the tournament of champions should the field be expanded to include more four game champions if we're talking four gamers i have to i mean so many amazing four game champs in particular this season but i have to i have to shout out maureen o'neill i was like she knows because i've told her i also defended her like viciously on uh on reddit I'm so, I was such a fan of hers. I was such a fan of the way that she played. I was such a fan of her attitude. I loved, like, I mean, I, I don't like to say failing upwards because, like, she earned her wins. She won. But, like, you know, just something about just her attitude and how you could tell that, like, she was not expecting to go on this run. I think her run was one tape day. I believe, I think, I'd have to check, but I think she, like, won on a Monday and then lost on a Friday, so, like, that was just probably the, just, like, the wildest day of her life, and I just, I I would love to see her play again. She made me so happy. I loved her slower pace. People were complaining about it, but I was, like, I kind of like that she's, like, breathing, you know, because I was not, so I, I was jealous, in a way, of her, of her, what I perceived as her very calm attitude, which I loved. Yeah, second Maureen, um... I will give a shout out to John TK Fox because, and I might be pronouncing his name wrong, um, simply because to tease what we're about to talk about, pretty much after his game, he set up the most comprehensive box score, like score tracker, has been really trying to develop Jeopardy analytics. So Mm -hmm. I just feel obliged to shout him out as somebody whose work that I've been aping in preparation to talk about this stuff. And, you know, dudes who do data, we're, you know, we got to take care of each other, right? (laughs) (laughs) endangered species if we can get all of them in i think i just i think i've covered the list because there weren't that many four game champions yeah actually looking at my my spreadsheet there was only four (laughs) okay i was like once we named the first like two i was like there's only two yeah like they all there's a bunch of threes, but I there's mean, only shit, four yeah. fours. Like, <laughs> well, there's five fours, ja- but we Jackie Kelly oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. winnings yeah. is still on the is still yeah. on the on the ticket. I'm super uh, biased, yeah, I mean, but like super biased, but like Lawrence and Emma from like leading out of my week were both like really strong three game champions. They were wonderful and are also both great people. Young Sheng was an icon, <laughs> absolute icon. Like needs to be brought back somehow, some way. Josh Sack, I think, obviously has. Um, an argument for inclusion for sure um i think in a normal season where matt is the james like josh is kind of like the inverse emma right because like yeah. he's like a three-game champ who like almost you know almost beat matt like almost could have just like made it so that his run didn't even happen and i think they would have wanted to see that rematch and so i mean I, if they are going for a really expanded field if they're gonna draw from three-day champs to fill out the field i think josh is obviously like looking at like 
I'm looking at your chart too, Jarek, like looking at their scores. I, I love Lucy and Dave both and would like to see them both back as well, but I have a feeling that Josh gets picked up first from the three-game champions just because of his, um, because he played Matt and they really like those rematches. I would say it's probably him and 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 also Young Shang just because he was so recent and he was such a, he was such a, he was so stellar. Like he was, people loved him so much on, on social media and stuff. So I could see him getting maybe a little bit of preference there too, maybe from, I mean, I hate to say recency bias because he totally deserves it, but that's what I'm thinking. If the field does get expanded to include all the four-game champions, I'd love to see Margaret back on. She made mm-hmm. regular Virginia a thing. In the <laughs> right, she universe. like she created a Jeopardy meme that, yeah, that like exactly. made it into a category title last this the last week of the season, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, she's absolutely wonderful. I would be so happy if she got to play again and Christine. All right, let's finally talk about the second chance tournament starting with the format. It's two weeks long, running from October 17th to, to eh, excuse me, runs from October 17th to 28th, and is it, eh, oh my god, I can't speak today. <laughs> You're doing great, Jarek. You're doing great. Uh, Get some water. I don't know. Oh, yeah, that's probably do. a good idea. <laughs> and is effectively two separate nine-player tournaments. The winners of Monday through Wednesday will play on Thursday and Friday in a two-game total point affair. And like mentioned previously, the winners of both weeks will advance to the 2022 TOC, presumably in November. Do we like the format that was chosen? Personally, I think it's fine, especially if we're working with syndication. 18 is definitely better than 15, the standard number of players for any syndicated Jeopardy tournament. But there's still part of me that's saying you only have to win two games of Jeopardy, or three, depending on how you interpret two-game total point affair, to make it into the TOC. Then again, this is a tournament, and if you win, you're considered a champion. So I guess there's two ways to look at it. What do you guys think? Do you think there were better options on the table for the SCT format, or do you like it the way it is currently? I just want to jump in and say that um, I'm sort of psychic. I I predicted, I don't know, I probably don't have proof. I probably didn't leave a Reddit (laughs) comment. Well, because a lot of people were like throwing me out there as a possibility to be seen on the Second Chance Tournament, and I was like, this doesn't make any sense because I won Jeopardy. So I I was treading lightly talking about this topic on the subreddit, but basically... What I kind of envisioned in my head that both would satisfy me as a Jeopardy fan and satisfy me as someone who wants so desperately to play Jeopardy again was I was like, what if they do two nine-player tournaments? One of them is like people who did not win, and then the other one is people who won but did not qualify for the Tournament of Champions, and they're both like a last-minute qualifier thing. All that said, I'm really, really happy with this format. I'm really happy that 18 people get to play instead of 15. I just think that that's great. These are all people who totally deserve a second chance, and I'm sure they're like super thrilled. Yeah, I like the idea of a of a of an expanded tournament, so I'm I'm into it. I have always been kind of annoyed by and not in a way that like I'm writing letters or taking down doors. The whole like five winners but then four wild cards trains a little bit different part of my brain trying to wager to be the fourth best loser. So I don't mind this and I think as well there's a whole thing about like the randomness of Jeopardy that like it kind of depends on the board you get, kind of depends on the final, your opponents, all that sort of thing. Makes it a little bit tough to handicap this because we did all only see these people for, you know, one game each and who knows Who's the, as it said, the opera person who gets an opera question? Who's the opera person who gets NASCAR questions? But, like, by doing the two-game final, like, the the two-game single points affair, you are more likely to get two strong competitors. Like, you're more likely, like, it's a lot harder to fluke your way to the top if you're not one of the two true great trivia people in this thing. And I think it, you know, selfishly, like, to me, it, it validates the, the, the Jeopardy losers of the world because 
it, it makes it more likely that somebody coming out of this thing, this tournament of, of second chances, is going to make noise in the tournament champions. The one thing I'm curious about as I was listening to you and looking at the list, like, the one thing that occurred to me was, like, is this seeded? Is it random how they're splitting them into two groups? Because, like, that's, I'm going to be interested to see if they even comment on it. Maybe it is just totally random. Um, but I think that that might be a factor as well. But yeah, I think this format in general is really good. And I do wonder if it's somehow going to be replicated in the TOC. Like maybe we see 18 people there too, because um, I, I agree. Like trying to be the the fourth wild card is like uh, the wagering in a tournament on Jeopardy is really, really interesting. And it makes it really fun to watch, but it's also, it's just really weird. That's what I'm trying to say. So I'm glad that they've taken some of the, they're taking some of the randomness out a little bit, especially with like, people making strategic wagers that they maybe wouldn't otherwise make if they were just trying to win the game. Like, I'm glad that that's maybe going to be a little bit less of a consideration in this tournament. Actually, I had one point that I had here on my my doc that I want to bring up in regards to the TOC format uh, over the SCT. If the field is expanded to include the current 15 on the TOC tracker, the two winners of the SCT and four four-game champions, you have 21 players, which easily breaks down to seven quarterfinal matches, two highest scoring non-winning wild cards advancing to the semifinals, three semifinal matches, and a classic two-game total point affair for the finals. But the problem is that it doesn't fit nicely within two weeks. You'd spill over into Monday and Tuesday of week three, and I don't know how TV scheduling works, but I have a feeling the higher-ups would rather keep things starting on a Monday and end on a Friday. Although, if the TOC is scheduled for primetime, which I, I doubt at this point because fall is a very competitive season for most TV networks, there could be flexibility in terms of how they want to air the TOC. What do you guys think? I agree. Saturday night, Saturday night Jeopardy is a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I would. That would be appointment television for me. I would tune in. Um, I don't know how I feel about the Tournament of Champions. I know this isn't really what we're talking about, but I don't know how I feel about the Tournament of Champions going to live TV just because the people that are then playing Jeopardy like on the syndicated show at the same time are like going to be like totally ignored. And I, I think I expressed this to you in your interview with me, Jared, because I felt so bad because I couldn't fully follow the national college championship because after a while I was just like, I never thought I'd say this before, but it was just too much Jeopardy like following <laughs> syndicated and then like watching like two games a night at night too. I was and then you like, have the chase at, on Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. So I was just like, it's a lot. So I'm, uh, I'm more in favor of them keeping it in syndication. I would for now, if this is how they're doing Jeopardy. Right. But I do, I do agree that they really want to keep it tidy, but 21 is kind of like such a perfect number, especially for this season. Like maybe they could like, if they want the finals to like be at the end of a week, like could like the two game final just be like the Thursday and Friday game of like the following week. Could they like break up the tournament? Like be like tune in next week. I don't know. Now let's move on to the SCT roster itself, starting with Sadie Goldberger, who went into double jeopardy and final jeopardy in first over defending champion Megan Waxpress, then a three-game champion. She was ruled incorrect for an incomplete Final Jeopardy response of Harriet Tubman, which caused controversy on social media. Had she been ruled correct, Sadie would have won the game and ended Megan's streak in Game 4. She would have also won in the event of a triple stumper based on how the wagers panned out. Uh, Ronan Zach, did you watch this game when it played out live? Because... I know I didn't, but I did see the handwriting on social media, and I could definitely make out Harriet Tubman in this case. I did watch this episode live. I definitely fell on the side of, of same as you, Jarek. I was like, that's Harriet Tubman. The thing, like, my sticking point with it is that even if, like, they felt that it was too ambiguous, and even if it's like, okay, everyone, of course, knows what she meant because we all know that the answer was Harriet Tubman, right? And so we have 
we're it's like confirmation bias i guess right we're like we're looking for harriet tubman and so of course we see it and that's not how they're supposed to rule in final jeopardy is the idea that said this very season they have like ruled on very sloppily written final jeopardy responses and called them correct so i don't really understand what the standard is there i kind of almost wish that she had been brought back like just as a regular contestant but i think if this if doing the second chance tournament like guarantees her like a consolation prize that's like above what she got then maybe this is like honestly better than bringing her back as a regular contestant i don't know i'm i'm very excited for her because i think she definitely deserves a second chance and, and i mean i do agree with that ruling but i'm also really or i disagree with that ruling but I'm also really glad that I didn't have to make that ruling, I guess is what I would say. That's another thing. They actually didn't announce if there were consolation prizes for the SCT. Um, so who knows if there right. will be. I, I'm right. sure I'm there will be a but... consolation prize. Because I don't think there's ever been a tournament where there wasn't one. So I'd imagine there would be one. So we'll, we'll see. How about you, Zach? I agree with pretty much everything Roan said. Uh, Sadie really out of this field is the person who, if not for the second chance tournament, probably should have just come back anyway because of what happened. Given that the second chance tournament was announced, like well, like well by the time that her game aired, it really just made sense to slaughter into that. Even if they said, okay, she's going to come back in season 39, which, you know, who knows if that would have happened, like there would have been a lot of blowback if she wasn't, if she wasn't selected. She's somebody who, there's a couple people on this field who were like, you know, lost their game fair and square, but could have been a five-game champion on a different day. Sadie and one other person that I'm sure we'll get to probably shouldn't be here because they probably should be Jeopardy champions right now um, for exactly the reasons that Roan pointed out. Given there's a second-chance tournament, I mean, this is a natural fit, but, like, this is someone who was going to get a shot anyway, I think. And if not for, if you know, in the world where Mike Richards is still Jeopardy, you know, producer and this tournament never happens, she probably should have been coming back anyway. Next up, we have Molly Carroll, who... Went into Double Jeopardy and Final Jeopardy in second against defending champion Andrew He, then a three-game champion. She had exactly half of Andrew's score, creating a lock-tie situation. Andrew, not wanting to play a potential tiebreaker, wagered a dollar and won the game after all three contestants got Final Jeopardy right. I actually had Jeff Myers on my shortlist of people who would make the SCT who is the other person who played in this very game. But I guess from like a, a narrative perspective, I guess, for lack of a better term, Molly would be the one considering she almost beat Andrew in what could have potentially been a tiebreaker. Or, you know, if Andrew if Andrew got it wrong, she would have won by a dollar and could have ended his streak and Andrew might not have been in the TOC. Actually, he wouldn't have been in the TOC because he was a three-game champion at the time. Reality was, I think Andrew is regarded as one of the stronger champions of this rain i've seen him like be sort of the trendy dark horse like oh he'll be the he'll make it to the final of the tournament champions to the point where it's like hardly a dark horse pick anymore right um, very that. <laughs> so i think somebody from andrew's run given how strong a champion they were up against deserved representation here and molly's as good a pick as uh, you said jeff being the other option yeah yeah coin, really could have been a coin flip between those two and like you said for narrative reasons uh on a very strong game overall i mean uh uh, combined Corey at north of 40,000. Uh, very strong game between the three of them. So really, yeah. Yeah, given second chance tournament, someone from this game makes sense. I'm very glad that Molly is here because I feel like Molly kind of plays like I do. Um, I'm Well, I mean, I would say that Molly is better. <laughs> um, I mean, you know, she, she and Andrew were... Um, I was just looking at, like, the right and wrong statistics. I mean, Andrew got a few more right, but, like, they were pretty much, like, in lockstep, like, almost the whole time. Obviously, Andrew also made, like 
that was the game where he made the biggest daily double of the season. He wagered 14,000 and got it. That was just such an exciting game. I don't remember it super well. It was like a week after I taped. And so that's like ages ago at this point. But yeah, I'm very, I do remember Molly and I'm super excited that she's back. I think she's, she's absolutely a contender in this. Cause like, you know, like with Sadie, she did really well in a game where, you know, if you look at the Coriat and everything, it was like pretty low scoring. This is like a situation where all three contestants were playing really well. Um, and there's a lot of people like that, I think. And so I, I think Molly is a pretty inspired pick. Yeah, uh, looking at her game on J Archive, she got the daily double on the second clue of Double Jeopardy and wagered 7,000, which makes a lot of sense considering it's early in the in the round. And it paid off. And she was actually very unsure, according to the, the show notes. She guessed Howard Carter and she was correct. So um, that catapulted her score. So yeah, she could definitely do some damage if she gets a daily double and decides to do that again. I could definitely see her. I'm going looking far. at the clue now. I would never have, I would have not gotten that. I think this will come up again that I taped a couple weeks after Roan. So this is an episode that aired during my like most intense prep period. So that fact is now burned into my brain, but I don't remember if that's because I was just in hyper study mode at the time. Like, I have no idea if I knew it at the time, but I, like, I remember thinking the next day, like, Howard Carter, Howard Carter, God, no, Howard Carter. Actually, I think I feel the same way. Looking at the date, 1922, an archaeologist, and discovering the valley, that reminds me of Egypt. So, yeah, I, I think sitting on my couch, I do remember saying Howard Carter, or, like, screaming Howard Carter at my screen, and then seeing her pull it out was just, like, the cherry on top. Yeah, I knew I knew that it was King Tut, but I could not have told you the name of the person. Of the person who discovered it. Gotcha. Yeah. So maybe now that we did the podcast, maybe now I'll remember it and I can keep that in my back pocket. Um, meanwhile, Andrew's daily double in that game was just to know who composed the Rite of Spring and he got $14,000 for that. But it's always easy if you know it. Next up, we have Isaac Applebaum, who won his quarterfinal and semifinal games, but was screwed over by the JNCC format, being the lowest scoring winner of the sem- semifinals. In his quarterfinal match, he went into Double Jeopardy in first and Final Jeopardy in second behind Gus Guskowski. Won because Gus could not come up with the correct response. Would have also won in the event of a triple stumper based on how the wagers panned out. Though the, he, Isaac had a slight miscalculation which could have cost him the game because if Catherine got Final Jeopardy right and doubled her score, she would have ended up winning. I think he overbet by like $2 or so. In his semifinal, he went into Double Jeopardy in first and Final Jeopardy in second behind Lauren Rodriguez, was the only one to get Final Jeopardy right and wagered enough to cover a doubled score from Steven Privat, who was in third, and would have also won in a triple stumper based on how the wagers pinned out, but wouldn't have advanced because of how the tournament worked out. So yeah, um, I think a lot of people on social media were a huge, huge fans of Isaac just because of his story, I believe, in his quarterfinal. Uh, I, I'm not sure what his semifinal story was, but I, I know for a fact that he was an audience favorite. So the fact that he's coming back for the second chance tournament based on how screwed he was by the chance CC format is, uh, much, much relief. I have a question and maybe like Roan can speak to this a little bit as someone who's won Jeopardy. I mean, Isaac leads in and I'm going to, I talk about a lot of numbers and I talk about a lot of like the, I'll get into some weirder statistics as we move up the board. Isaac leads in perhaps the most important Jeopardy statistic at all. And that's that he's won a Jeopardy game twice. <laughs> he's the only person right. here who's won a game of Jeopardy and he's done it twice. I don't know if that's right. It was, it, was a, it was a talking point. I remember on Reddit, people being like, it doesn't even actually make sense to include Isaac here because he, he won. He won Jeopardy. He's, he's the only one up there that won Jeopardy, technically. Um, I think it makes sense because I'm like, well, if you're including people who won tournaments, it would also make sense that you might include somebody who almost won a tournament in a way. So, that, I mean, it makes sense. 
Um, but what were you going to ask me? Sorry. Cut you oh, off. yeah. Just like in terms of like getting over the hump of like, I won a game of Jeopardy. I know how to do this. There aren't like I am haunted forever by the ghosts of my game. Uh, if I came back, I would certainly be thinking like wherever things went wrong for me, maybe it's like a bad daily double or maybe it's like, a, you know, in my case, a, a final that I couldn't quite get. I've been thinking about it for a pretty long time. I'm pretty sure some of these other people have been pulled into it, been thinking about it for a pretty long time. Like he doesn't have that baggage. He doesn't have that like, oh, no, it's happening again moment if things start going wrong. I think that's a pretty huge psych edge. You know, it's interesting. I can't say that I relate because like what's different about me What's different about Isaac versus like any other anyone else is that Isaac has never lost. <laughs> like I won and then I lost and my loss will haunt me forever. But like I Good to know. Like, Good you to know, know Isaac right, yeah, right. Um no, but Isaac like, you know, never experienced that. And so it is gonna be interesting. And also him, I mean, Mateo's pretty young. There's some young people in this tournament, but just thinking about the fact that he's like a little bit younger than everybody else. Um and also just like I don't remember him super, super well, I gotta say, but I I do remember his personality. He seemed like such a sweetheart. And I just like I like I think that will help him because he seems like he's really got it together, like in terms of like keeping like he didn't seem stressed out up there at all, basically is what I'm he saying. He was very and so, chill. Yeah, and so I think in a lot of ways he maybe does have some advantages, but like maybe some theoretical disadvantages as well. But I mean they're all kind of theoretical, right? Like we've never really seen this play out, and so it'll be interesting to see that's actually a good point that i didn't really notice and there are exceptions to this please do not get in my mentions whoever is affronted by this statement this is i feel like an older field in general where i don't know i don't necessarily know how, how old some of these people are but like of the second chance tournament? of the second chance tournament does feel like yeah i don't know why i said mateo yeah they're not no, the I, same tournament no but that's <laughs> i think that's a fair point but like mateo's got some young challengers i think isaac is probably there's a there's not too many people close to him in age and there's a knowledge there's a there's a situation where like there's a, there are categories that you know because you're 22 or whatever 23 that you you know that by the time you're 40 i don't have time to pay attention to this stuff i don't know i'm 30 i, don't, right. I shouldn't be commenting but um and also people that, i mean it goes both ways like there's also a lot of things that come up on jeopardy that i think people who are maybe older the age, older than the age of 40 yeah double sword more likely totally. to get yeah totally goes both ways but i think i do think that generally like being an outlier like inherently and helps him like if he can get if they're throwing a lot of like you know like kind of <laughs> zoomer grade <laughs> trivia at them then isaac's the only one who's going to be getting any of it basically we we can assume we don't know yeah and so yeah i'll be excited to see how that plays out this is i guess i'm looking i'm like this is a somewhat older field well whatever happens i'm rooting for isaac as jncc alum i'm biased I'll go isaac all the way <laughs> maybe we'll have maybe we'll have two jncc jncc alumni in the toc who knows <laughs> yeah that would be that would be awesome he's he seems great i would i would love to and he's one of the two people that inspired this whole tournament so i yeah. mean yeah that would also make uh, matea jaskarin and isaac some of the youngest players in that tournament which would be really cool i forgot what promo video it was but i i think it was the season 38 highlight reel that highlighted the age differences between Matea, Matt, and Amy, which I didn't think were that big, but they're at least 10 years apart. They're like all about 10 years apart. Which is other. crazy. I yeah. never thought about that. That's that's insane. A little bit of a stretch to call that a battle of generations, but like, yeah. it's, <laughs> right. it's an angle. They're all coming at it. They're all very I different mean, people. You so. can, I think you could make that argument because we don't have to get all into it, but <laughs> Amy, Amy is like the tail end of, gens, of Gen X, and then Matt is like the middle of the millennials, and then Matea is like an older Zoomer. Yeah. So like they are all kind of different generations. Fair, fair. Depending on how you define them. Next up, 
we have Jack Weller, who went into Double Jeopardy in second and tied for first, going into final with Brian Chang. Both wagered everything, and it goes to a tiebreaker clue, which is the third regular play game to end in a tiebreaker round, which Brian wins. He could have easily ended Brian's streak on game four. And uh, yeah, this makes a lot of sense, uh, similar to Molly, but this time the tiebreaker actually happened. This game was so long ago that I, I really honestly don't remember it. But um, anyone who goes to a tiebreaker, I'm sure, is deserving of a second chance. What do you guys think? Yeah, not much to not much to say there. Pretty open and shut. Brian Chang is a... I feel like I'm going to be saying this about everybody, but like Brian Chang's a strong Jeopardy player. To take him to a tie, to take him to a tiebreaker, that's a spot. That's, I think, pretty unobjectionable. Yeah, I, um, I've um, i played some trivia with Brian. Can definitely speak to his uh, ferocity. He is... He's a menace. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't really remember this game very well. I really only remember the tiebreaker because I showed the video of it recently to my partner because I was like, look, I'm playing trivia with this guy. Look at this cool thing because his get on that tiebreaker I thought was so good. Yeah, I mean, looking at the at like kind of how they stacked up, I mean, Jack obviously really kind of similar to me, I guess, like really benefited from daily doubles. Um, I don't know how much he wagered. He wagered 4,000 on both. You got them both in double. Oh, so he picked up 8K just from that. Yeah, that's like... So I think, you know, but even still, it's like, it's not like he was... um, He was no slouch, I guess is what I'm saying, even without the daily doubles. Um, His Coriat was only about like 5,000 lower than Brian's. So, I mean, I think like... I think he's definitely going to be a contender. I also think that similar to Brian and Zach in the actual Tournament of Champions, I think that people are not going to really remember Jack or like, like... And I that can sometimes be an advantage, I think. Maybe prestige in general is probably a little bit less relevant in this tournament relative to the TOC, but that's something I'm thinking about too. We love a dark horse. I do, uh, so just so you guys know, and just so people listening know, uh, I have a spreadsheet that's all 600 people who are eligible for this tournament as defined by like everybody since Braden Smith's win. Already with uh, Jack, who is one of the lower Coriat scores of this tournament, we're already into like the top doing some mental math here, like 85th percentile amongst this pool of like 600 contenders. Just speaking to the quality of the field here where that's like, you know, he's fourth on our list uh, in terms of like just going up that ranking. It's just going to get stronger from here. Um, Wow. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Next up, we have Cindy Zhang, who went into double Jeopardy in first and final Jeopardy in second behind Shri Kampela, who eventually went on to win that game. A more aggressive wager would have won Cindy her game, but she went with the percentage play of $400, forcing Shree to get Final Jeopardy right, and cover defending champion Tony Freitas' doubled score. Would have also won in the event of a triple stumper, based on how the wagers panned out. This, Cindy was one of my honorable mentions. I'm so glad she got in. I mean, her look was amazing on the show. Um, I'm sure you guys saw the tweet. Um, Actually, I'm not sure if you guys saw the tweet, but... Um, who was it? There was an interaction between Lily, aka One Eclectic Mom, and Tyler Road when the, I believe, Second Chance Tournament was announced. Yeah. Um, he tweeted, imagine the best runners-up outfit of the season gets in. Who is it? And then Lily chose Cindy as that person. So, who knows? <laughs> maybe Davies saw that tweet and thought, hey, maybe she's onto something here. But, she was yeah. also featured in the end-of-season trailer for her handwriting. Mm, yes, yes. That trailer so, actually gave away a lot of clues. Gave away four people, I think. Gave away Molly, gave away Sadie, gave away Cindy, gave away uh, Jessica, I think. Which, yeah. oh man, Jessica wow. Stevens is in this? We'll get to that, but what? Crazy. Um, <laughs> Cindy, by the way, I mentioned this with Sadie, and this is a little bit more subtle, but I remember this because, like I said, like this was when I was in deep study mode, or it was, and it's since been pointed out to me as a reminder, 
Cindy was on, like Cindy was only down going into Final Jeopardy by two hundred dollars, and there was a situation in the first round, the sing, the Jeopardy one round, I guess we call it. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> I call it single Jeopardy. Yeah, I don't have a it's fine. With that. Yeah, there was a situation where Sri's response was accepted and it shouldn't have been, and they retracted mm. it. But then, if it was ruled correctly the first time, Cindy would have had an opportunity to buzz in. Butterfly effect happens right. where she's got the lead going into final and she wins. So this is also someone where not as obvious as the Sadie situation, but also like has a case for, no, if things went normally, I should be a Jeopardy champion right now. I actually completely forgot about that. It actually does I'm ring a bell. I don't know what clue, clue right it, now. It was, I don't know uh, what clue it was, but it does sound familiar. I wish there was a way to just reveal all. There is. Oh, it's, it's uh, at the bottom. Uh, if you hit game responses on JR. Oh, you're. Oh my God! Wow, you learn something yeah, right every there. day. Regular verbs to beat with a strap, or what a party leader does to get votes lined up in Congress. Sri said, "Oh, this is this is some 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 weirdness." I give you that. Sri said, "What's a whip?" And they decided that because the category was regular verbs. And he used the noun form. So that's, I mean, that's a little ticky-tacky, but it's still under the rules of Jeopardy. Like, should not have been ruled correct the first time. So, like, it's still, it's a little bit less, like, it's like the, it's the, it's the grad school version of the thing that happened to Sadie. And in that same, we don't, getting in the weeds here, but in that same category, Tony made the same mistake where he said depreciation instead of depreciate. I forgot that this category was such a mess. Oh, <laughs> I want to rewatch this game. Yeah. Oh my god. This was wild. I, yeah, there was two reversals in one category, and I, who, did they have Ken? Who did they have? They would have, I think they would, no, they would have had Mayan because Ken started right when Amy got going. Oh my gosh. That is, that's wild. Well, I'm very biased. Cindy's, Cindy's a good Judy. I love her. Yeah, we've hung out a couple. Well, we've hung, well, a couple times, but we've hung out once. Um, but she's she's like a really really awesome person that I've met in the Jeopardy community. I know all three of us are familiar with her, but I've gotten to play trivia with her, and she was along with Rowan, who we're going to talk about. We're both on the other team and beat me and Brian Chang for what it's worth. So, um, and Mara Davis also a one day champion on that on our team too. So we were we were pretty stacked, and they and they they came in first, and we came in third. Yeah, Cindy is like absolutely phenomenal i remember being really excited about her just because like i liked her vibe i liked her handwriting what can i say um and she like really kicked some butt in that game and so i i've I've really i've really got nothing i think that she's like definitely the most deserving one of the most deserving people here just for various reasons she's like very memorable and also played really well she had the highest score yet she was leading most of the game like this is a this i think is a slam dunk next up we have doe park who went into double jeopardy and final jeopardy in second behind then defending 13 game champion amy schneider would have won if amy got final jeopardy wrong because a wager of 3999 prevented doe from falling behind amy if she wagered to cover him which she did and I believe Doe, yeah, Doe is the second highest non-winning Coriot score against Amy Schneider with 14,400. I do remember Doe because I believe he was the first game, he was on the first game to come back after the Professor's Tournament, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I think you might be right, December 20th. Yes. Yeah, and so that was that was kind of crazy coming back after watching the Professor's Tournament and being like, Oh, Amy, Amy might lose here. Oh, no, oh, no, it's a Monday. And, you know, a, a lot of Jeopardy! champions lose on Mondays, if I remember correctly, because, you know, that's five, the yeah, that's, five games uh... a day. And uh, a lot of things can happen within those 24 hours or week or whatever, depending on when you tape. So uh, what do we think about Doe? I believe when the second chance tournament got announced, Doe was Amy's pick 
amongst her contenders. Amy had just finished her run at that point. I think that probably carries a lot of weight. And like you said, he was the, in this case, the second highest Corey had against her. One thing I caught, and I think, I'm sure we'll get, we'll get to this more with somebody else. They did cap it at two challengers per champion. Mm, yeah. I think, yeah. Which is surprising. Yeah, if you count uh, Jessica as a Jonathan victim and not a Matt Amodio victim. In this case, it's pretty it's pretty straightforward. I think, yeah, like, given that Amy locked nearly everybody out, just surviving and making it to final with a chance to win against Amy Schneider, like, that's enough. I completely yeah. agree. Yeah. Speaking, speaking from experience. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't really remember this game very well, um, but... Yeah, I do remember her shouting out Doe as being someone to bring in here. The stats really don't lie. I think that he's he was definitely one of Amy's strongest challengers, along with Pam, who I'm so excited to talk about. Um, yeah, don't don't have a lot to say here, but um, yeah, super excited to see if if an Amy, if a, if someone who got Schneidered can uh, make it to the end. I think that would make me feel good. Actually, can I jump in with the with the sort of broader yeah, point? Go for it. Yeah, numbers time, guys. Uh, like I said, I got my tracker about like what the various competitive, you know, various eligible competitors did in, you know, in the second chance pool. I've got the numbers based on what sort of an average contestant did and then breaking it out by who they faced in terms of like tournament champions people. So the average Jeopardy loser who didn't play someone in the tournament champions, if you're with me so far, mm-hmm. they got 14 right, three wrong, 0.76 daily doubles. Fun fact about that. And at a Corey at about 9,000. As you can imagine, most of the tournament champions contenders had some sort of dampening effect on their opponents. Matt and Amy specifically stand out as really having sent people to the sunken place. Um, <laughs> there are there are plenty of people between no, sec- no TOC player and these two on the list. Matea stands out. Jonathan Fisher stands out. Uh, Zach Newkirk stands out in this. But like... Matt and Amy specifically, instead of 14 right, you'd get 10 right. Instead of a core rate of 9,000, you get 6,000. And you're also half as likely to find a daily double. We're going to talk about a few more people who faced Matt and Amy, but just worth pointing out. And Matea is the next one on the list at like 6,500, 11, right? Like it's not a huge gap, but there's a gap. They have the biggest like opponent adjusted spectrum that I'm looking for, for just in terms of like what the person who stood next to them did to their opponents, generally speaking. Truly fascinating data, in my opinion, actually, because it can, like, it's something that a lot of people have assumed, but it's nice to have it confirmed. And it also makes Coriat scores, like, I mean, like, yeah, how is Doe in the bottom half here? And he has a Coriat of 14,400. That's higher than my winning Coriat <laughs> against Amy. So, like, I don't, like, I, I'm, I'm very excited to see these people do some damage. It's yeah, going to be cool. We're already up to... 50th in the pool now so that's like i don't know just out, out of 600 or something yeah, yeah just outside of like nice. just like 80 high 80s percentile at this point already and that includes people who didn't play super champions now we have the person who inspired davies to create the second chance tournament none other than jessica stevens who we all actually the rerun aired tonight actually on the night we're recording this podcast um where she won or no not famously did not win (laughs) i'm rewriting history all of a sudden uh where jonathan won excuse me she went into double jeopardy in third and final jeopardy in second and would have won if she was the only one who got final right and she had the highest non-winning choreot score against jonathan um the rest of jonathan's opponents had choreot scores that were less than jessica's i'm very excited because her stats are really good uh 100 correct on all the clues that she buzzed in on 
unfortunately did not get uh, a single daily double so i feel like if she did that would have made all the difference and she got final correct and jonathan did as well she's only down by 200 to jonathan in yeah. the final the the game dynamics chart for this i this aired today i'm gonna watch it i think the game dynamics chart for this game i i remember it of course there's so many factors here jonathan and jessica were both pretty good up against matt who was also pretty good but that's a bad day for matt like matt was having a bad day jonathan and jessica were both having a great day and it was just like this like perfect storm of like you know the crazy stuff that you can see happen on jeopardy and, and it I mean, was you, a monday and it was a monday so they walked in and had this happen which is just wild to me this was also the i don't know if you noted this jarek i'm just reading from j archive at this point but i don't know if you noted to notice jarek this was the first game with davies as ep oh yeah it's a, it says that at the top actually yeah <laughs> isn't that funny so yeah um but no jessica obviously like even if she weren't such an obvious davies favorite like obviously belongs to her on her own merit i mean like to be able to hold her own between literally between she was the middle podium right uh yeah she was i think that is a factor i never stood at lectern b so i don't know what it's like but i think being between madame odio and jonathan fisher and putting up a coriata 14,400 and getting nothing wrong is like i think really impressive she's actually the only person on here with a 100 percent correct response rate yeah and actually jonathan got all three d daily doubles in this game which i didn't have in my notes beforehand and matt got none of them so the fact that jessica was able to hold her own essentially against jonathan and only be off by like 200 is very impressive i can only imagine what she'd be able to do if she capitalized on one or maybe two daily doubles yeah the biggest thing like and especially if you like if you look at how the how double jeopardy went i mean matt's incorrect responses like really really tanked him i mean you can it's it's such a drama in that game i think to like just like watch him like slowly unravel and watch jonathan kind of like ascend and he has like you know, he gets some daily doubles right, he gets some wrong. It's just such a chaotic game. And so Jessica, in a way, like, in that particular game, not thinking about them overall as Jeopardy contestants, but in that particular game, like, you could sort of, I mean, she literally had the highest score yet. You could really argue that she was the strongest. So, yeah, I'm I'm thrilled. I mean, I hope that, like, it's, I hope that, I hope that she does well because she has been, like, so hyped up. And I imagine that that kind of, speaking, like, I don't know how aware she is of kind of like the fandom and how people see her. Maybe she is just like, doesn't care. But like, for me, like knowing that I had just beaten Amy and knowing that there was going to be like all of this kind of like attention on me, even before like anything had aired, like there in the studio, I was so nervous and stressed out. So I like thinking about how people would respond to me if I won, if I lost. So I hope that that isn't a concern for her and she's able to kick some ass. Moving on, we have Aaron Goulias who went into Double Jeopardy and Final Jeopardy in first over defending champion Ryan Long, then a 10-day champion. Um, wait, my note, wait, my notes are conflicting here. It says could have ended Ryan's streak on game 12, but he was a 10-day. Uh, it's the Oh no, could have ended his could have ended his streak on Ryan's 11th game. That's a mistake on my spreadsheet. So, yeah, Ryan was a 10-game champion when Aaron was on uh, Aaron did not wager to cover Ryan, opting to wager nothing, but it didn't matter in the end as Ryan was the only one to get Final Jeopardy correct. He was also the fifth highest non-winning Coriot score against Ryan. Aaron, you could argue that Aaron kind of dominated until Final. I mean, not dominated, oh, yeah. but like he was leading almost the entire time. Yeah, it's not like it's not even like Ryan had like a bad game. Actually, he had an off star. He didn't get in until like Clue 
like 17 or so. Okay, this game is coming back to me a little bit because I remember at the commercial break, I was like, this is it. Yeah. Like, I, I was like, Ryan's going to lose. Yeah, and I think that is probably the reason um, Aronson, you'd mentioned that he's only the fifth highest Coriat out of um, the various Ryan Long contenders. Davies has said the pass at Coriat's unofficial. Um, I... Hey, the Jeopardy account tweeted the words Coriat's yeah, That's I... good enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's official now. So another very simple statistic of just who got the most questions right out of this pool of people. The outer bounds of this list is 25 right, and Aaron got 24 right. I will point out as well that like I've done a lot of work on like how frequently topics come up uh, inter- on Jeopardy. As I think Matea Roach can attest, like you can get a- usually get away with not knowing sports and do very well on Jeopardy. Sports are usually a single Jeopardy category. They're usually not mm-hmm. worth that much. It's not super frequent. It's like a once a week thing. That is the sort of like knowledge that people do not always have is kind of weird to pick up and not usually worth it. So right. getting burned it's very on a much an extremity yeah. when it comes to trivia, sports, you know, it's, it's like it's really its own, its own thing. Yeah. Yeah. And so like I speaking for myself, I was kind of just like, I wouldn't know where to begin with trying to pick up sports trivia that I don't already have. So like I wasn't gonna bother with studying it, obviously. I would hate to go up against Ryan Long in a sports final jeopardy. Sports and entertainment. I mean that's like literally his <laughs> that was like a perfect storm for him. I'm sure Aaron was disappointed and is definitely somebody who probably really deserves to be here for sure yeah I, I think ultimately what it boiled down to was final i mean he had the highest choreot score among all three players in that game so definitely deserving of a second chance in this tournament next up we have renee russell who went into double jeopardy and final jeopardy in second behind defending champion matea roach then a 17 game champion let me just make sure that's correct yeah that was her 18th game and Renee had the third highest non-winning Coriat score against Matea. Let me take a look and see how this game played out. Okay, so pretty much Matea dominated. Oh, it looks like Renee managed to catch up to Matea by getting a very late daily double. What was that? Oh, it was in the ballet and opera category. And guess what? It was in the $400 row, which you don't see every day on Jeopardy. Like, gotta and be one of the only times this season, right? That's shocking. I have no idea, but that's actually very notable. She wagered 5000 on that one, which was probably the right call, considering uh, there were not that many clues left. And Matea's, Matea was almost... Actually, it wasn't close to a runaway, but um, it closed the gap. It managed to close the gap between Renee and Matea, so... Yeah, what, what was the final for this? Uh, song Books of, of the song 1970s. Yeah, I did not yeah. get this one watching it. Live. Yeah, I, <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. But yeah, do we have anything to say about Renee? Before we get to Renee, uh, there's a couple people who I think, while everybody in the tournament deserves it, there are people who have equally compelling cases uh, who didn't make it, just kind of the nature of the business. Uh, pour one out for Alex Lemberg, who was one of the other Matea mm, challengers, yes. who had yes. a, you know, 17,000 Coriat, uh kept it close throughout as well uh this is someone who yeah like that's someone where it's tough to pick amongst the matea challengers like it's tough to pick amongst the ryan challengers i'm not knocking uh renee by any means who by the way uh i know Je- it was pointed out correctly that jessica was the only person to not miss a single question on her game renee's only miss was the final she was 17 correct zero wrong oh you're right i wasn't thinking about final how that factored out. no you were still huh. right you were I still took- right Right. The reason why my stats are off like that is because I think uh, I took all, first of all, I took all the, I don't think I mentioned this, but I took all these stats from the Jeopardy fan, credit to the Jeopardy fan for all of this data. So I think the correct percentage includes uh, final if they got it right or wrong. So uh, there might be like, might be slightly off there between my data and yours, Zach. Yeah, no, and I, I, I had to look that up because it's really annoying to scrape the final Jeopardy uh, results just doing J Archive 
Selenium stuff, data science. That's still true. I mean, she didn't get final, but she did get 17 right and zero wrong up to that point, including two correct daily doubles. You covered a lot of it already. Uh, a lot of Mateus games were dramatic. Um, she was, it was wild. She was very dominant. And yet also like, that was the perfect, that was the perfect run of Jeopardy. Super champion. And then also, but like competitive games on top of that. We had it so good. <laughs> I will never forget. That was like the, like, yeah, I have to say, I mean, watching Amy's run was crazy for me for obvious reasons, but um, Matea's run, I think, is probably, and Ryan's run pretty soon after that, I mm -hmm. think that's probably the most fun I've ever had watching Jeopardy, Yeah, was those two. Yeah, actually, looking at one of my other sheets on my Google sheet here, I took a statistic of how often the people in the TOC had lock games, and Matea's lock game percentage was 50%, whereas Ryan's was 35 Meanwhile, you have Matt and Amy, who had 82% of their games, 82% of Matt's games were locks, and 88% of... Amy's games were locked, so just because eighty eight, yeah, five of yeah. Oh, I got thirty six. Oh, out of I might, I might have miscounted. The more that I learn about Amy and her stats, the more impressed with myself I become. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah, I was very surprised by eighty eight percent. I was like, wow, that's that's insane. <laughs> yeah, I was. Uh, what was the clue that she got in ballet and opera? Yeah, a bit of a layup. It's like almost like did they put the daily double there on accident? That's like really funny, but also awesome. Um, yeah, Renee was great. Zach said it all. How do you pick between all of the really strong challengers that Matea had? Um, I think her strongest challenger was probably Sarah, who is here. So I mean, if they were to pick someone else, I think Renee is a is a really great choice. She was. I remember her being fun to watch, and I'm excited to see her again. All right. So moving on to the next person on the SCT roster, that would be Nikki Porcaro. Um, I actually don't remember her, but she was on my short list of people. You don't remember her, Jarek? She's one of I, my favorites here. I, I actually don't because it's funny because she was she was in a game that didn't have a super champion, and there's there were so few episodes this season where there were like people that played like against like one offs and so. Well, after after Megan's run, there was a lot more, but point being, there was a bunch of like episodes where between super champions, it was kind of like hard to tell like. Like who was more memorable over others? So you you know it's just I I don't know <laughs> I don't I guess I just don't watch enough Jeopardy. So anyway, Nikki Porcaro she went into Double Jeopardy in third and Final Jeopardy in first over Austin Weiss, who I believe was also a challenger. Yeah, and lost to Austin in a triple stumper as she wagered to cover Austin's doubled score. It looks like she got both uh daily doubles correct in the Double Jeopardy round. Uh, in the first one, she managed to close... Actually, no, she didn't close the gap between her and Austin. But she went on a tear um, to catch up with him after the uh, second daily double. And then the third one of the game, she catapulted herself to like make the gap even wider between her and Austin. The reigning champion, Armani, didn't really have such a good day. I mean, he got the first daily double in uh, single Jeopardy and then just kind of trailed off in double, had a string of bad clues, and just, just couldn't get it couldn't get in for a while so um yeah i guess roan you, you could t start with this one because you obviously know more than i do with this i game. am i am indeed very passionate about nikki we've never met but she's kind of like um or talked but she's like maureen level for me in terms of like i really like when we get kind of like an uh, i hate to say an atypical jeopardy contestant because what's a typical jeopardy contestant i don't know it's like 400 people a year and they're all different but nikki really stood out because she styled herself a little bit differently I, I, she has like a pretty strong new jersey accent which i am like always a fan of um just in general so and just and also like more importantly than anything related to just who she is as a person yeah her late her double jeopardy surge was like 
so exciting. The game starts and I'm just kind of like, oh, she seems cool. She's, you know, that's like not the typical, that's not like your typical nerd, right? That you like see on Jeopardy, right? Like she seems interesting. I don't remember what her anecdote was, but it was good. And then like, so I'm just thinking like, okay, well, you know, we'll see what happens. And she's pretty middling all the way up through single Jeopardy, right? And then when we get into double, I mean, even without the daily doubles, I think she probably would have ended up in the lead. Like she really, she oh yeah, really she was middling for a while. She, and like then she like, and, I, I, I love when people get like kind of that, that's that second wind and double jeopardy and kind of like come alive um and like i mean austin played really well and and was great but like it it really nikki losing after i became such a huge fan of her over the course of those 20 minutes like it really (laughs) did suck so i'm I'm actually really really excited that she's back i wasn't expecting her to be back and when i saw her i was like oh my god i remember her so vividly it was like a light bulb moment it's it's funny that you pointed out that way because i've got something that really speaks to her sort of like late surge and um you know, kind of looking into what happened with the game. We don't really have buzzer numbers for uh, some of these people before the, the box score era started in January. They've mentioned it a couple times on the podcast. Uh, a couple of these people, their buzzer numbers. Nikki's uh, 34. That's good. Not really like a notable number. I made up my own statistic uh, on this, and that is Coriat per correct. To me, what that number means is that if you had a high Coriat per correct then you were winning on the harder questions and we're just getting pipped on the buzzer on the easier ones maybe so maybe you took it you know you needed that first uh, round to figure out how to how to get in in time and the easier get your rhythm going but you were winning on the higher end of knowledge and to me coming back to a tournament that's a lot easier to fix or figure out or know what you're getting into having been through a game than it is to pick up that higher level knowledge out of this field, not out of everybody in the pool, but out of this field, Nikki's in the lead in that statistic. Is somebody who really made a game out of knowing things that her opponents didn't, or just, like Roan said, surging at the very end? By the way, I save this for this, but second in that stat amongst everybody in the field is Jessica Stevens. So makes, That wow. makes a lot of sense. So she made a game out of the things that Jonathan and Matt did not know. That's so cool. That's a fa- that's like a fascinating statistic. Thank you. Um, I'd, be, I'd be curious to know where like I line up on that one. I actually remember now why I don't remember her episodes because I didn't watch it because during the whole, um, you know, host like debacle and like them rotating hosts, I actually didn't watch that many episodes while they were rotating hosts. Um, I don't know why. I couldn't really explain it to you. Maybe I was busy with school. This was the last game hosted by Savannah Guthrie. Yeah, to I, Savannah Guthrie was my favorite guest host. So really? maybe that was also coloring my, my rose-colored glasses towards Nikki because I just I thought she was wonderful. I wish she actually wanted the job. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> she would have been perfect. Worth worth pointing out as well, with that 17,000 Coriat and with a number of people to go, we're already up to 19th highest Coriat out of the whole pool. So, th- I, they, yeah, they cannot say that Coriat is not official then, because that is clearly the statistic that they're looking at the most, right? It has to be. Next up, we have James Frazier, who I also don't remember, uh, admittingly, went into double jeopardy and final in first over Lori White, lost to Lori, being the only one not to get final jeopardy right. He wagered to cover Lori. Lori wagered to cover third place's doubled score. Oh, he was supposed to originally be on during James Holzhauer's run in 2019. But because Jeopardy has a policy where they can't put same name people in the same game and also some issues with James's deployment, because um, I believe he was in the military, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he played in point. uniform. Yeah. So some issues there with scheduling and whatnot. So they brought him back um, in March 2021 
to compete. This is, by the way, obviously the only reason that I'm not in the second chance tournament is that there's already a DC Zach in the Tournament of Champions. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he, oh, I didn't even that's know that. That's <laughs> obviously the only reason. Oh, my God. Yeah, I can't have two Zachs. Can't have to, yep, that's the rule. <laughs> if he enters the room, I have to leave. Did James get a daily double? No, he didn't. Like that, was the, that was something they pointed out on the podcast, that he had a lead going into final with zero daily doubles. Yeah, and Lori got both of them correct. So the fact that he was able to string up a bunch of clues late in Double Jeopardy and surpass Laurie by the time final came around is very impressive. I think, yeah, that in and of itself is deserving of a second chance. He had a Coriat 17,400, best in that game. I mean, just incredible stats all around. Yeah, I do not remember him at all. Actually, yeah, March of 2021, I don't even know if I was actively watching Jeopardy at this point. So I can't say that I remember James at all, but... Looking at these at these statistics, him and, him and Lori had a really fun game. So yeah, I think I think he's a great choice. This is sort of a you know Davo take the wheel situation because he's the one where I don't have like other than the whole like having the lead with no fi- with no daily doubles like that's fairly compelling. That's good. There are higher Coriats who didn't get in, but given like what we know about like Cindy Zong's game, uh, Nikki's game, like the that I was able to find a case for Nikki's game. They were able to find a case for for some of these other people who aren't, like, the most obvious choice. There is something to be said about the fact that, like, and this is just me being, this is, you know, me being very nice, is, like, I didn't watch all these episodes about either. Like, there are people who did, and they made these picks. Maybe there was, you know, something more to it, or the the waiting for two years and the naval deployment situation. Like, that's compelling. Yeah, I mean, like, no commentary on this either way, but I do think that they, like, do think about representation in a lot of different ways, and I do think that it was probably appealing to them to have, like, someone, like, an active military member participating in the tournament. I imagine that that might have been a factor that might have just, like, put him in over somebody else who who shaped up similarly, basically. Yeah, and again, yeah. strictly speaking, um, if you just took the top 18 Coriats, he'd be in there. Oh, wow. Nice. Yeah, we're already there. Um, Seven, I... 17-4 is, is crazy for a losing Coriat, actually. The producers know more than I do when it comes to casting. Um, James wasn't on my short list. That's why I had to, like look him up beforehand and see like when he showed up on the show and whatnot. He was the hardest one to find a compelling case for, but I guess being part of the military uh, was originally supposed to be on during James's run and just having an overall good game, I guess are factors that went into the producer's decision to put him in second chance. So yeah. Also availability. We like, we don't know if any of these people were alternates. Yeah. So who knows? Next up, we have Sarah Snyder who went into double jeopardy and final jeopardy in first over defending champion Matea Roach, then a 22 game champion. This final, I believe was a two game uh, or not two game, a uh, two person final jeopardy uh, lost to Matea who came up with the correct response, but Sarah could not and wagered to cover uh, Matea's doubled score. Matea almost went all in. I think she wagered everything but a dollar. And uh, yeah, this very compelling case for uh, a second chance. I mean, just looking at this game dynamics, Matea was middle of the road. To sit. Sarah pretty much dominated this entire game. She got two daily doubles, cat- capitalized on both of them. Matea got her daily double wrong. So everything was set up for Sarah to win other than the fact that, you know, she couldn't get final. There's so much going on in this game. <laughs> like, first of all, I really want to just give a shout out to TJ. Like, I that's like... That's brutal to be up against two buzzsaws and like we like we just we cannot all be Jessica Stevens. We just can't. Um, so shout out to him. But <laughs> yeah, I I remember people being like really surprised at that Sarah didn't get this right. I think was maybe the like I there was this this caused a lot of discussion. This episode was people were really talking heavy about this. Um, and also like Matea lost two games later. 
presumably same filming day. I don't have that in front of me, but I like I really kind of feel like this really really shook up Matea. Like I she I think had definitely I think had finally I want to talk to her about it. I will maybe. But like you know she I feel like kind of like finally gotten maybe comfortable and then to have this experience where she really damn near lost and then managed to win having expected to lose and having getting to have that shocked reaction to winning despite being like a 22 at that now 23 day champion like um or no she does lose the next game doesn't she she loses oh, right the after next this. game yeah yeah, yeah i mean this is literally this is literally the game That's where wild. matea wrote i think she i think matea did this more than once but this is one of the games where like matea wrote so long and nice for all the fish along with you know her response because she was like you know today might be right this is it yeah yeah oh my gosh wow well yes i mean this is this is one of the very first people that came to mind with me for this tournament um i mean we knew about this by the time she was on so after she lost i was just like oh slam dunk um and so i'm i'm very glad that she's here and i'm sure that matea is too yeah i I just want to repeat i mentioned that like matt and amy were serious dampeners on their opponents matea's next on that list and like I want to be clear, it doesn't sound like a good time to go up against Matea. Like, we're still talking a pretty serious discount in terms of right answers available. Daily doubles, there's a little bit of a discount. Coriat available, there's a little bit of a discount. To your point, I'm finally pulling up box scores. I'm actually disappointed that I haven't spoken about box scores more because I do love them. Yeah, TJ, 6 for 32, my dude. Uh, That is rough to be going up against two people who really had their druthers about them. Yeah, Sarah had 38 buzzes. Uh, by the way, I generally treat buzzes as knowing the right answer because most of the time they do. Uh, 38 is very good. 38's in the top quartile. Um, and I believe they pointed out in the podcast that the average for the tournament champions participants is 38. So she fits. She fits. Yeah, I think we've got a – I think we've definitely – I'd put some money on Sarah. I would. Yeah, Sarah I'm was one of to, the but... – <laughs> imagine if there was Jeffrey betting. Oh, my God. That would be I think there crazy. is. <laughs> you think there is? Oh, I got to look into that. Well, Sarah was one of my top four picks in uh, the previous episode of Post Podium. I said she was definitely a lock because she put up the highest non-winning Coriat score against Matea. So I figured if if uh, producers were looking for contestants who did really well but couldn't slay the giant, uh, Sarah was definitely one of them. So glad she was a pick for this. Yeah, I, I'm really surprised by the final Jeopardy. 20th Century Cinema, black and white film, Xanadu. I mean, I, I guess it's a if you either know it or you don't. This uh, is definitely an either you know it or you don't because I'm going to be honest, I did not have this one actually. Yeah, I feel like if you're vaguely familiar with film or I've like, I don't know, like major films of 20, of the 20th century, you probably know this one. But yeah, I feel like if you're not versed in that area, you wouldn't know it. So this is the, this, I, I know we're running long but this is the um this was the drama people were like oh you're a middle school humanities teacher how do you not know citizen kane she teaches middle school they're not doing (laughs) they're not they're not they're not screening 80 year old films (laughs) and dissecting them in class she probably teaches like 50 different things like are you kidding me that was like man yeah you're not teaching like i didn't do coleridge in middle school i'm sorry yeah exactly yeah for me like i've just never really been into movies when it comes to citizen kane i'm like i know orson wells was in it i know rosebud that's all i got i would not have gotten this but everyone everyone at home would you know it's you always it's always easy if you know it next up we have roan ward who went into double jeopardy in first and final jeopardy in second behind defending champion matt amodio then a 17 game champion they had exactly half of matt's score creating a lock tie situation Matt, not wanting to play a potential tiebreaker, wagered a dollar and won the game. So similar to Molly's situation with Andrew, Rowan did not come up with the right response. And so, yeah, I think Rowan had the second highest non-winning Coriat score against Matt Modio. Yep, she, uh, they did. Yeah, Matt, 
I actually have I I can I can jump in. Matt Go for had it. Matt had the most of the way, but again, this is a situation where just surviving to final against Matt Amodio is an achievement. You know, first off, getting that out of the way. Uh, on top of that, do I have the buzzer numbers for Rowan? Yeah, 42 buzzer attempts. That's a winning game most of the time. Oh, wow. Yeah. Uh, we're getting into some rarefied error here. My thing with Rowan is that when the second chance tournament was announced, there are a few people who came up in basically every conversation about the second chance tournament, about who should make it, and Rowan was very much in there. So if I was Rowan... I would be operating on the assumption that I was getting into this tournament in like February and doing that prep and doing that intense prep. So, and already, I mean, like cards on the table here, Rowan is very, very well known in quizzing circles as someone who is a beast. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. It's a cruel twist of fate that you can be down $13,600 and still have a chance. And yeah, 22 rights, very strong, tough, tough opponent, as I mentioned about Matt Amodio. All around, like to me, to me, one of the favorites in the tournament, straight up. Yeah, I gotta say, I think overall, Rowan's my pick. And it's not just because they live in Chicago and we play trivia together and we're friends. Um, I'm I'm so, uh, I, I just think that they're a wonderful person. And yeah, just like Cindy, they have absolutely astounded me like with, with their knowledge when we play trivia. Yeah, Rowan, Rowan's one of those people that has like really, really broad knowledge and has really deep knowledge in like a bunch of random areas. Like, and so they're like they are like they're they're such a maverick and you never know what they're going to pull out but like their pop culture their sports like so many things they have that i think actually a lot of people in this tournament maybe don't have knowledge base wise hard to say but um i will acknowledge yeah. the bias that i think we're all in this room more familiar with rowan having been more engaged in like in of course circles than some other people yes. but like that has just made me more sure that they're gonna make some noise like to the point where i'm hoping that they don't there's not like a pressure thing now. Right. That's yeah. Same thing as, as Jessica, right? I don't want them to be putting too much pressure on themselves. Um, but I, yeah, you really said it all, Zach. Like they're absolutely awesome. And, and I, I I'll call it now. They're my pick. I, I think they're going to win one, of, my one of them. One of the two spots. Yeah. On the trail of Matt Amodio victims, we have up next Tracy Pitzel, who put up the highest non-winning Coriat score against Matt Amodio. Uh, Tracy went into double jeopardy and final jeopardy in second behind him when he was a then 23 game champion and would have won if Tracy got final jeopardy right and as Matt wagered to cover Tracy Matt got final jeopardy wrong and Tracy wagered enough to force Matt to get final jeopardy right so had Tracy been right Matt would have lost and I do not remember this game at all I yeah I do not either not gonna lie I remember it very well this was again like in the period where I was like really studying very hard and I was having anxiety nightmares about Matt Amodio as I was dreading getting the call and having to go face him and then i missed amy by a week thank you roan um yeah (laughs) so combined coriat score tracy participated in the highest combined coriat game out of everybody in the field at forty six thousand two hundred. the breakdown of that was matamodio 27 4 tracy uh tracy pitzel eighteen thousand, uh carlo anguili 800 this was a two-person duel with one of the best jeopardy players of all time and you know at this was Jeopardy at the highest level between Matt and Tracy. This was a very, very competitive game, specifically between the two of them. To me, that's a you know it or you don't final. And, you know, I knew it because I've seen that movie, but that's, yeah, I had again, this one. on the couch, you know. Uh, right. I'm a Zoomer. I did not get this one. <laughs> oh, Lord. Yeah, I, I don't remember this game whatsoever. I'm sorry, Tracy. Um, but looking at this, like, to yeah, to do an 18,000 Coriat, Kind of like I think maybe you just said about someone earlier, Zach, like to have an 18,000 Coriat and still be that far down from 
like like this is one of just looking at the scores and and everything this is i think one of matt's most dominant performances while tracy also put up like a very dominant challenging performance so i mean that's just that's gravy i'm sorry tracy only had 20 right by the way i was looking at a different line uh, but that's still that's still that's still top quality yeah so i'm uh i yeah i i, I don't know what to expect from tracy but i'm uh, i'm excited because i mean yeah to be able to to get that many correct responses to be getting in that much to even be within shouting distance while this person is going on this tear it's not like matt had a bad day <laughs> this is like one of matt's best oh, days yeah. matt had a mad day. you know uh tracy, matt had a mad day to, i think i'm kind of pipping uh jarek on this one but yeah tracy had a daily double technically got it wrong and it was like the second question yeah. and then did the rest of this game with no daily doubles yeah so very unfortunate timing with the daily double there but she held her own i mean yeah she didn't take her foot off the brakes i mean there was one like time where she didn't answer much between clues 40 and 45 but still she held her own against matt who capitalized on a daily double wagered 7800 if i no 7000 uh wagered 7000 and yeah like ron said was still in uh was it shooting distance? Yeah, down $16,200 and still not a lock game to speak to the yeah. audio thing. Which is crazy and had a realistic shot of winning the game because, like I said before, Matt got final wrong. And Tracy could have easily won that game if she got final right because she wagered near everything. Next up, we have Pam Schoenberg. Roan, you were really excited <laughs> to talk about Pam earlier. So Pam went into double jeopardy in first and final jeopardy in second before... Yeah, before Behind defending champion Amy, it's getting late, then a nine-game champion. Uh, Pam would have won if Amy got Final Jeopardy wrong, as Amy wagered to cover Pam's doubled score, and Pam wagered small so as not to fall behind Amy if she got Final Jeopardy wrong. Again, similar situation to um, Tracy in the regards where if Final played out differently, uh, we could have seen the end of Amy's run at only 10 games. Um, Yeah, I'll jump in here. I mean, I think that this is like one of the like most obvious picks um yeah pam is a, a massive jeopardy fan so far she's the only person that i've noticed ever on j archive to have her j board account linked has anyone ever gotten onto j board there's quite a there's there's quite a few but it's like i'm sure really I've, been, I've been told to stay away for some reason i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but uh i don't yeah. know <laughs> but i mean her single jeopardy performance was like, I, I think she reminded me so much of Matt Jackson, who I'm a huge fan of. 11,200 like at she, the end of the round. Because I think she she might have even commented on this. Yeah, she played on a Tuesday. Like, um, and I remember this game very vividly because this was right after I beat Amy. And I was just like, oh, my God, who did she have to go up against? How did this happen? And seeing this, I was like, oh, my God, it should have been her. Like, she was, she, I think, had seen Amy do so well in the game prior and just went up there and was just like, I like, I am just going to go in here like the literal Terminator, which is funny because there's a Terminator clue. Um, but like, I'm going to go in here like the Terminator and I'm just going to like, just go as fast as possible and just try to like disrupt how comfortable Amy was. And um, the, the, both the trivia knowledge and the strategy, I think are both clearly really there. She knows a lot about Jeopardy. I am going to call now. I think that she, if, if if Rowan is getting one of the spots, I think Pam gets the other. That's my call. I, I think that she's like, I, I would be very afraid of her. I would. I, I needed to be known that we didn't compare notes beforehand, but I fully agree. Pam had for a long time when I set up this tracker, um, had the most bulletproof case out of anybody in terms of having 24 right answers. Uh, that's again, top of the line highest in terms of anybody who played a super champion. Uh, highest Corey had against super champion or tie with Tracy prize against the super champion. And to speak to the point I mentioned earlier about Rowan, I think Pam is the other person who the second, the second chance tournament got announced 
probably started studying because you had mentioned they're a huge Jeopardy fan. I've seen Tracy. I haven't interacted with Pam personally, but like she's a presence on like Jeopardy Reddit, which is yeah. a lot less toxic than Jayboard. She is somebody who probably knows how good she did and knows how like likely it was that she was going to get picked. And I think that's the other, you know, has that same advantage as Rowan as being someone who has probably been prepping for this since February. Yeah, Pam was the second person who I had nailed to be like a surefire pick for SCT. Highest non-winning Coriot score against Amy. Good stats all around, 92%. Correct percentage, um, got one out of the two daily doubles she got. And uh, yeah, had a really good, I'm, I think the most impressive stat for Pam was the Jeopardy round score, 11,200. And Amy in a distant second at 3,800. I... I gotta watch this game again because I I don't remember. Oh, it's one of the most thrilling hard. games of Jeopardy ever. I, like <laughs> truly, it it's fantastic. Yeah, I hope they rerun it. Uh, I I they probably I will. would hope they will. Uh, yeah, Tracy and Pam with eighteen thousand each are tied for tenth highest Coriat on the out of all six hundred people. And again, they went against Matt and Amy. Yeah, this is including a lot of people who didn't have to play. Right. These are Super like Champions, these right? are people who unironically have unironically you know what i mean like like not even using hyperbole these people had super champion potential 100 like yeah, we're in that i always just now. remember how amy literally almost lost her very first game she went against andrew and went in in second you know when in she had pam like amy was to andrew as pam was to amy if you like really if you like at least as far as final scores go i think they're they're about comparable like it's really just came down to who's going to get final right or wrong that can determine so much so i mean you know who knows we could have been talking about amy right now because you know she got creamed by andrew and who would have then gone on to win 40 games or something you know who knows so yeah super super excited for pam we're getting down to the wire here next up we got tom Philippos who went into double jeopardy in first and final jeopardy in second behind defending champion ryan long then a 14 game champion tom had the highest non-winning Coriot score against ryan he would have won if he wagered 10,801 at most, but Ryan did not wager to cover, so he won the triple stumper instead of Tom. Or if Tom was the only one to get final Jeopardy right, um, I believe he would have won. Let me take a look at this game because I believe I, I watched this game and it was very competitive. It was a trip. It was a triple stumper. He's down 4,000, and you would have to break down the wagering a bit more, but it was a triple stumper. Yeah, uh, UNESCO World Heritage sites. Yeah, this was this was tough. Um, oh, I had this one, but that's only because of Civilization Five, <laughs> which I think the writers do play because it comes up. So I th- I actually think they do. I feel like I've read that somewhere. I don't know why, but that sounds vaguely familiar. Familiar. I I couldn't tell you why, but the the game sounds familiar in co- in the context of Jeopardy. I uh, think it is the kind of game that Jeopardy writers would play. It makes sense. But yeah, it looks like according to d- game dynamics, Tom was firmly uh, leading over Ryan, and then. By clue 40, Ryan capitalized on a daily double and just took off from there. So, yeah, it ultimately just came down to final. I mean, Tom and Ryan were only $4,000 apart. And so putting up the highest Coriot score against Ryan, obviously, again, Tom was the third person who I said would be a lock for SCT. And, yeah, I'm really glad he was part of the roster. Yeah, highest Coriot against anyone who played anybody in the tournament champions. Like, that's just that when I said that Pam was the, like, bulletproof person for the longest time tom was the only person who kind of muddied the waters in terms of like who gets the first spot if they seed this who is the one seed 44 buzzes uh ryan also had ryan also had 44 that day 44 is very very strong we'll get to the top in in the near future but like that's three quarters of the board that's not something you see very often we're getting 
Like that's the, the, very much the far end of the bell curve. And this was Ryan's, you said, fifteenth game. Yeah, this was that's Ryan's fifteenth some, game. That's something where like the buzzer edge and the experience edge carried Ryan. I think. I completely agree. I gotta say, I somehow, despite having this being pretty recent and also me being a big fan of Ryan, I don't remember this game at all. I I wonder. Do you think they're gonna rerun like every second chance tournament contestants game? I think they've already. I, I think so. I think they said that. Yeah. Probably that makes sense. Okay, so yeah, so I'm, I'll be excited to watch this one again. Um. Yeah, I, I don't really have anything for this one, but the stats the stats don't lie. I'm very excited for Tom. So we got two more people left. Uh, we got Alicia O'Hare, who went into Double Jeopardy in first and Final Jeopardy in second behind defending champion Youngsheng Wang, who is then a two-game champion. Everyone got Final Jeopardy right and would have won if Youngsheng got Final Jeopardy wrong or if there was a triple stumper. Uh, I believe Alicia is only one of... No, actually, that's wrong because Nikki didn't face off against a super champion. Uh, Zach, do you know how many people in this roster didn't face against super champions? Yes, I did. Obviously, Isaac, uh, Cindy, Nikki, James, Alicia, and Jeff, who we're about to talk about. So it's like, what, five? Uh, six. Six. Okay. okay. One of them is so, so in a way, gotcha. he kind of, yeah. Yeah, so Alicia, uh, very impressive Corias score, 22,200. Um, I, despite this game being very recent and Youngsheng just being an icon, uh, I didn't watch this game, so I'll probably watch it upon... The rerun, but looking at the game dynamics, everyone was pretty much... Actually, I shouldn't say that. Alicia had the lead going into Double Jeopardy. But for a while, it looks like Youngsheng and Alicia were just battling it out between clues 45 and 55. And it wasn't until Youngsheng got the daily double late in the game where he just managed to take the lead. I remember this game pretty well because Alicia wears colorful glasses, and I always take note of that because, you know, my legacy and everything. But, I, yeah, I, I don't remember her being this good. Like... Youngsheng's run was short, unfortunately, and like felt like a kind of a blur. And he was he was so dominant, not just in terms of his performance, but in terms of his personality, his energy, everything. He, you know, he he's so gregarious and like and amazing. So I feel like he's the like sadly, sadly for for Alicia and Judd, I feel like he's the only person that I remember from this game. But I remember Alicia's glasses, and I did not remember her doing this well. This is like she, I, I mean, I, I hesitate to call her a dark horse because she seems like such an obvious front runner. But I, I hadn't really been thinking about her going into this and to so to see her included here i think is super exciting yeah you can do like a little bit of a thought experiment of like what if alicia and rowan traded places or whatever and like what if you know not having to go up against super champion but first off young shen's a really strong three-day champion and then 43 attempts by or 42 i'm sorry 42 attempts by alicia that's very very strong uh, 25 right answers is the first off highest on her game, so that counts for something. Uh, and then highest tied for first in terms of most right answers at anybody in the pool. Second highest Coriat out of anybody you know eligible, as I've talked about, and was only down by a thousand in Final Jeopardy, and it was a triple correct. The only question mark with Alicia would have been like, are they taking people who didn't play Super Champions? And if the answer is yes, then yeah, no brainer. I'm just looking at these categories, and uh, I definitely got to watch this because. I think I just swept the stock symbols category <laughs> and uh, billboard number one lyrics. This one looks like right up in my wheelhouse. That category so. will have fun, Jarek. That's all. <laughs> there, there, um, there's one that I'm still sure is the Kingdom Hearts theme. And I refuse to acknowledge that it's not the Kingdom Hearts theme was the right answer. You'll get there. Oh, Zach, that was so funny. We'll, well, Jarek, watch the episode and then we'll get to talk about okay. that. You'll get it on the ride home, everybody. Yep. All right, so the last person we have on the SCT roster is Jeff Smith, who went into Double Jeopardy and Final Jeopardy in first over Kate Cohn, 
who was, I believe, a one-day champion. He would have won if he got Final Jeopardy right, as Kate was the only one who got the Final Jeopardy correct. He had the highest knob-winning Koryak score of Season 38 with 23,200. And, uh, yeah, I mean, highest Koryak score of the season and not winning? I mean, that in and of itself, I feel like, merits a spot in second chance. Did he make the right wager, Jarek? I believe he did. I want to say he wagered to cover. Let me just check. It says that he should wager 11-201. Yeah, he wagered 11-8, which is above the minimum. So, yeah, he did wager to cover uh, Kate's doubled score. And I believe Kate slightly overwagered, but it didn't matter since she was the only one who got final right. But, yeah, looking at these game dynamics, it looks like Jeff just couldn't get the daily doubles to his advantage because he didn't get the one in single right. And he got one early on in double jeopardy, but that lowered his score a little bit. And then... Around clue 35, that's when him and Kate just started battling it out for the lead. And then ultimately, Jeff ended up on top. So yeah, it just boiled down to final, really. And uh, yeah, do you have any notes on Jeff, Zach? I absolutely do, yes. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, highest Coriat, tied for first with Alicia in terms of most right answers. Very, very competitive game on, on the whole. Like, again, like there are days where he wins in a runaway, um, but Kate put up a very, very strong fight, stayed with him the whole way, as you mentioned. Sri was not a slouch in his uh, game as champion. I talked about the thought exercise of, like, what if Alicia and Rowan switch places? And that's interesting. Or, like, what if these people who didn't play Super Champions, like, swap with someone who did? Jeff... Would have been fine because Jeff had 48 attempts on the day. Oof, let oof. me let me put that into context. Here are the people who put in who who did better than 45 attempts in the box score era. Amy a bunch of times. First off, let's just get that out of the way. <laughs> Amy did a bunch. Amy allegedly had a 57 attempt game before the box scores got released. That's just good luck, everybody. 57. Allegedly, yeah, they they put it up on a graphic at the. That's end like of the every clue except, except for the daily doubles, right? Yeah, pretty much. I think they're like because rebounds count, so there was like a couple oh, of those. Oh, but like, okay. it's not like technically the most attempts you can have is what like a hundred and hundred and forty or something. Like a hundred and if yeah, you can buzz twice. If you each if you time three times or three times, yeah. So yeah, like a hundred and eighty something. So other people who had more than forty five are Jaskarin and Raymond from the college tournament. Emma Salzberg against me, of course. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> uh, Luigi de Guzman, who's the current champion, and Keddy Pan, who played one of the most aggressive games in recent memory of Jeopardy. Like, those were all, like, 48, 49, 50. That's, the, that's it out of including champions, including super champions. Matea capped out at 45. Ryan capped out at 44. Erica Hesa capped out at 45. Jackie Kelly capped out at 43. Jeff had 48. Like... Jeff is probably, again, like, I made my picks, but, like, if somehow Jeff, like, slips, like, somehow, like, Rowan and and, and uh, Pam are on the same side of the bracket, Jeff would be third on my list. Like, he has absolutely unimpeachable, like, measurables. It's sort of the sort of thing where, like, categories can swing games. And, like, you, you I got very lucky with my board, for example, to even look as good as I did. You get one esperanto internet language category and that's five fewer questions and six thousand dollars you have to work with i believe that was the name of that category that was a nightmare um that weird esperanto category 48 attempts indicates that either you had like looking at this board that he's someone who like happens to know like 17th century history and then also uh, uh whatever the hell like or just no he's a stud and like he got very very unlucky with the breaks and with the people he was playing against but 
Um, you can't be on top of a list of 600 trivia nerds and not be pretty gosh darn good yourself. Yeah, I so this game aired the Friday before I taped. So at this point, I was in Phoenix, Arizona, um, getting ready to go to a wedding, and then I was going to drive to L.A. and play Jeopardy. So I don't know if I've ever actually seen this game. And it's really funny because Kate is another very good Jeopardy friend now. And like, I only really remember her losing game, which I watched in my Airbnb in LA. Like I don't really remember her, 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 uh, her winning game. Cause I think I had decided I was like, okay, I'm done studying. I'm not going to watch Jeopardy on the trip. Like, you know, it is what it is. Anyway, this is all to say, I sadly really do not remember Jeff very well at all, but I agree with everything you said. I mean, I'm looking at, I like these categories. I think like there was something going on like in the fall and winter where it was a lot of geography and I'm, well, I'm not seeing how well he did in those categories. Let me look. Yeah. I'm looking. Yeah. You know, your, your hypothesis was correct, Zach. He's really, he, he got a question correct. I think in every single category, um, I'm checking. Yeah. He got one question correct in all time categories. Yeah. That is, that is an achievement. At least. Uh, Yeah. I was, he was, he's great. Yeah, just breadth of knowledge, demonstrated breadth of knowledge, demonstrated depth. Um, again, this is gradients. I want to make this point because I haven't yet that, like, I don't expect there to be, you know, any lock games in this tournament. It's just too high a quality of I hope not. I, I hope these are all competitive. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't expect because it is just, like, the floor. Like, I'm not going to name who I think is, like, the 18th most talented person in the pool, but they're a very, very strong Jeopardy contestant to be just to have a case to be selected here. So I don't want it like I don't want it to sound like oh like Jeff's going to clean up or Rowan's going to clean up or Pam's going to clean up but like I would consider Jeff like a favorite um because of just how strong a resume this is. So now that we're done with the SCT roster, I have a couple of SCT stats that I'll rifle through really quickly. Highest score yet scores that we just as we just mentioned are Jeff with 23,200, Alicia with 22,200 and Tom with 18,600. Highest correct um correct response rate percentage like how many how many like <laughs> i don't i can't speak dude it's so late um this was, You're doing amazing. Amazing. This was supposed to go 30 percentage. minutes what were, yeah. you, Eric, what were you thinking i feel like we're close time to two quote. hours holy shit uh, if you're still listening to this bravo <laughs> applause to i you. love um, a long podcast i would i would listen to this uh, yeah, me it's, too, the, the but maybe at two times The tournament's speed. in October. You have time. <laughs> yeah, break it up. Exactly. Oh, man. Wait until we get uh, get on to the episode about the tournament champions. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, highest correct percentage goes to Jessica, 100%. Uh, Tom with 95%. And a three-way tie for third with Renee, Doe, and Jack at 94%. Highest buzz percentage. Um, this isn't entirely based on box scores, but these are just based on the numbers I gathered from the Jeopardy van. Again, credit to them. Uh, Alicia, Jeff, and James are in a three-way tie for first at 44%, so they're buzzing in on a bunch of clues and presumably getting a lot of them correct. 11 out of the 18 players were in the lead after the Jeopardy round, but only of those 11, only five were in the lead after Double Jeopardy. One-third of the SCT roster got their final Jeopardy clues correct. Two-thirds of the SCT roster lost to Super Slash Ultra Champions, which include Amy, Matt, Matea, and Ryan, who have two victims each in the tournament. And finally, New York has the most representation in the SCT at four, being Pam, Cindy, Alicia, and Tom, with a tie for second between California and Maryland, the three from California being Jack, Jeff, and James, and the three from Maryland being Sadie, Isaac, and Renee. So now that we've gone through the entire SCT roster, who do we think can make a deep run, not just in the SCT, but also in the TOC? 
I put a lot of weight into stats and past performances, so my top three would have to be Jeff, Alicia, and Jessica. Jeff and Alicia, for the same reasons, both put up impressive Koryat scores in their debut appearances, and I think they could do a lot of damage, especially if they're able to capitalize on daily doubles, which they weren't able to the first time around. And as for Jessica, she held her own against two Ultra Champions, like we said before, and went into Final Jeopardy in second without the help of any daily doubles. Like Jeff and Alicia, I really think if she's able to find some, even just to deny her opponents the opportunity of breaking away, I could see her as a serious threat. In general, I think we'll see a lot of players in the SCT hunt for the daily doubles and sort of stray away from the traditional top-bottom approach because this is essentially do or die for all these competitors. This is their second chance, their last shot, and I don't think anyone can afford to let their foot off the gas in this tournament, especially with the TOC invite on the line. How about you guys? Who do you think could make a deep run, not just in SCT, but also in TOC? I gotta say, I'm I'm gonna stick with kind of what I've been saying, which I would say my top three going into this are Rowan, uh, Pam, and Jessica Stevens, but... When I, when I met with you previously, Jarek, you told me about the Whimsy buff, and I have not stopped thinking about that since. <laughs> and so I'm going to give my Whimsy buff pick to absolutely no question, Cindy Zhang. I would not I be like surprised. It. I like it a lot. Yeah. I like that. She, she's, a, she's fierce. How about you, Zach? Picks the win, not knowing the bracket would be uh, Rowan and Pam, I think, for the reasons I mentioned. They've been in, you know, in the lab as well as, Je- and as, well as Jessica, to be fair, like in the lab since February getting ready for this. And I think that's a huge edge on top of just being strong squizzers in general. Jeff would be the, you know, if the bracket uh, shapes out that those two are on the same side, Jeff would be my third. If somehow they're all on the same side, would that, that's a weird structure, but then, you know, uh, then we'll see. And there's chaos here. Uh, heart pick, you know, in terms of like who I want to see win, uh, obviously, you know, Roe and Jessica, Cindy, all wonderful people. I mean, this is so biased because I've interacted with them personally. Who I'm rooting for versus like, who I, I'm not betting, of course. Of course I'm not betting on this. I would never do that. I would never. <laughs> yeah, like I said, though, it is a strong tournament. There's no one here where it's like, who, who's going to be out of it at final, and final could be anything. I do think that the the, the two uh, the two game capper situation is going to limit, you know, is going to limit the weirdness somewhat, but this is a weird tournament. I think a year ago you told me that a second chance war was happening. You know, it would just sound made up, so... Uh, I'm ready for a weird thing to happen at the weird thing. Um, and I'm excited for it. I really am. I'm going to, you know, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I haven't been watching every episode since I, you know, since I had my experience, but like these, I'm going to try to watch every episode for real. Now, who would we have liked to have seen in the SCT? I would have wanted to maybe see Tessa Matsuzaki and Nick D in the SCT. Tessa was one clue off from preventing a lock game against Erica Hasek during his run. Yeah. And Nick Tessa. put up the second highest non-winning Koryat score against Ryan Long. So I was surprised not to see them on the roster because you have people like Doe and Rowan who were also second highest against Ultra Champions. So I don't know. It might have just been an availability sort of thing, but it's quite unfortunate. Yeah, you you can't invite everybody, but yeah, te- it's Tessa, right? Or just Tessa? I have no idea. There's no pronunciation specifically on J-Archive. I'm just going off. If it looks like Tessa, it's probably Tessa. She was awesome. So yeah, she, and I was also, I was kind of noticed. I was like, no no Erica Hasek victims. And it's not yeah, like every single games for all of his games. I'm pretty, or no, five of his seven games were locked. So, That's yeah, a good point. Yeah. Surprised. So I mean, it's not like you know every single person in the in the TOC needs to have like a, a challenger in the in the SCT. It's not a one to one thing. But you know, I, I noticed that that, and I was thinking about oh, who went up against Eric that like gave him a good run, and yeah, Tessa stands out for sure. I can't say off the top of my head I can think of anyone else right now, but I bet Reddit will will tell you. I'll I'll give you. I, I mentioned Alex Lemberg as again. I'll do a head and a heart here. 
Uh, Alex Lemberg is the person who probably got the most screwed by the cap they seem to put on to having you know only two challengers per champion because he was right in that mix, had a really strong core at, uh, went up against Mateo, which was not a good time. Hard pick, and I think Roan's going to be with me on this. My dude, Zewahaj Khalili had a really good core at, had a wonderful comeback. She was from my tape week, was a charming human being, and that reflected it. Like, I'm not just saying that because I met her. Like, um, like, the Instagram comments were super, super positive about her, which being a woman wearing a uh, headscarf, like, that's a very, very pleasant oh, surprise. Oh, Zoha. I was, yes. waiting, I was like, I oh didn't my God, hear the yes. name. I kept waiting for you to say who the name was. Yeah, Zoha, Zoha was an alternate on my tape day. Um, so I met Oh her. my God, looking at these game dynamics. Holy shit. No, exactly. Oh, exactly. Absolutely unreal. We gave, like, this was she, super competitive. We gave, she was amazing. We gave yeah. them a standing ovation after the second, after the, the daily, the, the double Jeopardy commercial break. And I was very much in my head that whole day. I will tell you, I was not about like, like the fact that that distracted me from my current circumstance, how insane a game that was and how awesome. Wait, Zoha went from third in like clue 50 something to taking the lead going into final? Yes. Yeah, it, like, talk about a late oh game search. Just as Gosh. someone who figured it out just like a – not even because she had the lead and just missed it on final. Like, she would wow. fit in very well with this field. And so that's, like, again, a biased pick because that was my tape week. But No, I think she totally deserves to yeah. be in the SCT. Holy. But I had I, – I knew I, I couldn't get out of here without caving for her. No, thank you for reminding me of, of her because I was – I, I – I mean, it's not like oh, I Oh, yeah, she was, I did, she was I on my short list, huh? I, I didn't invent, um, you know, big daily doubles, but I was just, I was very, very excited to see somebody who, like, somebody who was unafraid, especially playing from behind like that, who was unafraid to just, like, you know, take it to that level. She And, and yeah, just a wonderful person, absolutely. I, I hope we get to see her again someday somehow. I think that's a big takeaway is I hope this tournament, I hope whoever does win this tournament does make noise in the, tor in the TOC to validate its existence. Mm, yeah. For sure, I feel like it would be very underwhelming if like one of, or none of the two champions like made like a deep run or something. I feel at like... least made it out of the first, yeah, yeah. And, and that way, I'm kind of, like I am now thinking about round. it. I'm kind of glad that it's going to be two because it doubles the chances that, of someone really, really doing well. And I mean, these people, like, it really just goes to show that like the number of games you win tells you very little. Like these people are are serious. So. Uh, two hours later, Ooh. that just about wraps things up. I don't even know if it's two hours. It's probably two hours. It's uh, uh, looking at my, my OBS my recording. Is two, two hours. hours and five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that just about wraps things up. Thank you so much, Roan and Zach, for coming on to the podcast to talk about the first episode of Inside Jeopardy as well as the SCT. Of course, our tournament coverage here on Post Podium won't be stopping anytime soon because there will definitely be an episode where we go over the Tournament Champions format break down the official and hopefully expanded roster and anything of importance covered on Inside Jeopardy. I'm officially embracing it, what it means to be meta. Before we sign off, Roan and Zach, where can people find you online? Is there anything or anyone you'd like to plug or shout out? Go right ahead. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Transit Diagram, no spaces. And I... Don't remember if I said this last time, but it, it's still relevant, so I'll say it again. Um, donate to an abortion fund. Chicago Abortion Fund funds abortion and other reproductive health care for people who need it um, across Illinois, across the Midwest, across the country. They really need our money right now, so that's my plug. I fully co-sign that. I'm very Googleable. I think I'm the only Zach Gosselin on the planet, so uh, at Zach Gosselin on Twitter. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't have a lot going on right now. I guess I'll plug the concept of SoundCloud.
uh, if, if ever one day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just wait in two weeks. Right, Zach like, will drop not here. Not here's my SoundCloud. <laughs> go on SoundCloud.com. Yeah, yeah just go to SoundCloud. <laughs> yeah. Maybe maybe you'll find something you like there. <laughs> All right, perfect. Now this is when I close out the show by asking you to please rate this podcast on whatever platform you're listening to. Post Podium is available on all sorts of listening platforms, including Amazon Music, Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Radio Public, Spotify, and Stitcher. So make sure to follow and subscribe for the latest episodes. I've been your host, Jarek Bruel, and remember, if someone asks what you're listening to, always phrase your response in the form of a question. What is Post Podium? See you next time. (laughs) 